0: I want to greet each one of you in Jesus' name this morning? I uh, you might notice by my shirt that I I'm uh, planning on celebrating Thanksgiving. I was getting ready to put on this shirt and asked my wife about it. She said it doesn't look very dressy, and so then my tongue said, "Well, it's Thanksgiving." <laughs> and uh, anyway,s that's a little play on our Sunday school lesson this morning. Um. But I, I do want to share on Thanksgiving. It's a subject that should be close to each one of our hearts. Um, and we have this wonderful opportunity this week that our nation actually uh, has set aside to, to be thankful for before we start looking forward to getting our Christmas gifts together. So I'm, I'm uh, hoping that we can take this Thanksgiving season on into Christmas time and, and on throughout. I hope that we are living thankful lives. But as a meditation, I'd like to turn our, our scriptural um, text, I'd like to turn to Psalm 136. Uh, it's a psalm that many of us are familiar with. And let's uh, let's stand... I think I'm, I was thinking about reading this in a responsive way, but I, I, I think just so we can stay I think it'll lend itself for us to stay more focused on it if I read it slowly and you'd be thinking about about some of these verses and how they would apply to your life. Uh, let's, let's stand to, to read this. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. O give thanks to the God of gods, for his mercy endures forever. O give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his mercy endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders, for his mercy endures forever. To him who by wisdom made the heavens, for his mercy endures forever. To him who laid out the earth above the waters, for his mercy endures forever. To him who made great lights, for His mercy endures forever. The sun to rule by day, for His mercy endures forever. The moon and stars to rule by night, for His mercy endures forever. To Him who struck Egypt in in their firstborn, for His mercy endures forever. And brought out Israel from among them, for His mercy endures forever. With a strong hand and with an outstretched arm, for His mercy endures forever. To Him who divided the Red Sea in two, for his mercy endures forever. And made Israel pass through the midst of it. For his mercy endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea. For his mercy endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness. For his mercy endures forever. To him who struck down great kings. For his mercy endures forever. And slew famous kings for his mercy endures forever. Sihon, king of the Amorites. Now remember that each time it's saying for his mercy endures forever. This is a significant event in the life of, the Israel, of Israel. And uh, it's basically touching little pieces or significant pieces of Israel's life in a very... Um, in a very brief way, but then adding to that, for each one of these, I'm dividing this up and, his, and adding, His mercy endures forever. So these are all big events, followed, about, followed by how the God mercifully intervened. And Ah, king of Bashan, for His mercy endures forever, and gave their land as an heritage, for His mercy endures forever, a heritage to Israel, His servant for His mercy endures forever. Who remembered us in our lowly estate, even us today, for His mercy endures forever. And rescued us from our enemies, for His mercy endures forever. Who gave food to all flesh? Remember that Thanksgiving dinner coming up? For His mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the God of heaven, for His mercy endures forever. You may be seated. Well, I have to admit, when I read down through that, that many mercy endures forever. It starts tickling my humor, um, but it is a uh, it is when you see it in the sense of, of the significance of each of those events, uh, and when you identify with that, it gives you a, a better it gives us a better uh, understanding of how the, why that song psalm was written as it was. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. The Lord is good, and that's an absolute. That's something we can rely on, depend on here this morning. Uh, His mercy is, it endures to us. The Lord has our best in mind, even in the hard times, times of trial, times of difficulty. Times when there seems to be no hope. The Lord's mercy still endures forever. The Lord is good. He's good in times of victory, in times of fair weather, in good times. He's still good then. I don't know what you think of when you think of the traditional Thanksgiving. Um, My mind goes back to the story of the pilgrims. And the pictures of men dressed up kind of in funny fashion, long stockings, and uh, ladies in great big bustling uh, dresses. Um, you know, they're bringing the platters of food out to the Indians, serving the Indians, and the men sitting down with their swords in their laps, maybe the Indians with their... their. Uh, bow and arrows beside them. The tomahawks still attached to their sides. And they're eating a meal together. A meal that was brought about by the pilgrims. Uh, A meal that really, uh, a tradition that really came from England. And as I've read up on this, more recently, and some of my sources, my sources are varied. Uh, I, will, I will venture to say a lot of it's from Wikipedia, so you can find it there. But there seem to be good sources and well backed up. been reading about this again here more recently. Their Thanksgiving seemed to have lasted for a while longer than ours do. They, uh, they celebrated, some sources say, up to a week, some for three or four days. And there were uh, seems to have been a lot of wild game in that time. They sent men out the the uh the English people, the pilgrims sent men out and Indians out to hunt, and they came back with uh, game to last for a week of feasting. So I think, I think they're, they're, they must have had a good uh good stock of, of wildlife that they were blessed with. But it is interesting because that first winter, if you go back to that first winter, of the the pilgrims coming in, and I'm going to back up a little bit further. Uh, times were pretty difficult. There were the pilgrims were separatists of the English Church or the Church of England, and they believed that the Church of England had so departed from the Scripture that, and and from what they believed was the as a separatist group believed was the scriptural application that they can no longer. Associate with the Church of England, and for their beliefs, they were persecuted. In fact, there was a there was a uh, fine charge for each day that someone missed a Sunday morning service. It was a fairly significant fine. Um, they were pressured, and they were harassed, and it moved from there into persecution. Finally. This group of separatists finally moved to the Netherlands and set up there as a group. They had, uh, as I could best tell, had over 200 people in their group. Lived there for a number of years. It looks like maybe 10 or 12 years. Now, some of you may know your history better than I, and that's that's okay. Um, I'm not setting this in absolutes. But it looked like to me like it was around 10 years. And there they they started realizing that that uh, in general things weren't working out very well. While they were able to to live there in the Netherlands and make a living and provide for their own and and worship as they wanted, they noticed that their youth were becoming more and more like the culture of the Netherlands, libertine and uh, or liberal, and also that they were losing their English tradition. And it started making them become concerned. They wanted to, they wanted to see um, their English tradition carried on, and also wanted to, to see that their children carried on in a way, or were, were lived in a way that that uh, they felt was scriptural. So they started begin to begin looking for a new land, a new country, and they finally uh, settled on the the Americas or America. Uh, In fact, they'd thought about settling in Virginia, but that was too close to people that uh, where there had been a a settlement uh, from England, and uh, they were afraid that they would become too much like the English Church again. So they decided to find another place, and they they ended up uh, settling north further. So they started out with their ship with 102. People on board, and uh, they finally sighted land on November nine. And after sixty-five days on those vessels, the Mayflower or the vessel of Mayflower, uh, they landed in in uh, Cape Cod, where William Brewster led them in a psalm uh, in the reading of Psalm one hundred as a prayer of thanksgiving. As we're well aware, they, they landed at a bad time to be, to be starting out uh, a new settlement. November 9 is not a good time to land in Cape Cod. And uh, conditions were harsh. They barely, many of the pilgrims didn't make it through the first winter. They became sick, many of them died. Scurvy was probably the disease caused by lack of vitamin C. They didn't have fresh fruits or vegetables. Uh, they, their supposing pneumonia also caused a lot of deaths. And of those, uh, of those pilgrims that came across, only 53 survived till spring. So there's a lot of death, a lot of hardship that first winter for the pilgrims. But in early autumn of 1621, the 53 surviving pilgrims celebrated their successful harvest, as was English custom. During this time, many of the Indians coming, uh, amongst the rest, uh, of the many Indians that came, there was this great king, Massasoit, with his 90 men. And they celebrated this this first Thanksgiving together. Um, Edward Winslow writes, Our harvest being gotten in, our governor sent four men on fowling that so we might after special manner rejoice together after we had gathered the fruits of our labors. They four in one day killed as much fowl as with little help besides, served the company almost a week, at which time amongst other recreations we exercised our arms, Many of the Indians coming amongst us, amongst the rest of the great King Massasoit, with some ninety men, whom for three days we entertained and feasted, and they went out and killed five deer, which they brought to the plantation and bestowed on our governor and upon the captain and others. And although it be not always so plentiful as it was at this time with us, yet by the goodness of God we were so far from want that we often wished our, part, we often wished you partakers of our plenty. This is him writing back to you, his folks in England. And William Bradford writes, uh, they, they began now to gather in small harvest and to fit up their houses and dwellings against winter, being all well recovered in health and strength and had all things in good plenty. He goes on to say how that they had grain and so forth and it looked like a much better winter coming up. Well, I'm sure that this first Thanksgiving for the pilgrims was filled with grief as the living pilgrims remembered the friends and family that were no longer with them. And I'm sure they also thanked God for the providential corn and utensils they found in the Indian mounds. Now that's something I hadn't realized, but according to accounts uh, that William Bradford recorded, he said that after they had first landed on the in Cape Cod there, I guess. They also found, and this is, they also found two of the Indians' houses covered with mats and some of their implements in them, but the people had run away and could not be seen. They also found more corn and beans of various colors. These they brought away, intending to give them full satisfaction repayment when they should meet with any of them. And about six months later, They did. As it is to be noted as a special providence of God and great mercy to this poor people that they thus got seed to plant corn the next year or they might have starved for they had none nor any likelihood of getting any till too late for the planting season. So because they found this corn and some of these utensils buried in these Indian mound, they were able to have provision for that first spring seed. But most of all, I think that this exercise, they knew, the leaders knew, those people knew that this exercise of of going ahead and having Thanksgiving even amongst their grief was a way of stepping out in faith and in healing. And I believe we too need to, regardless of where we're at, whether in plenty or in hard times, regardless how our last year was or our last years were, we need to step out in faith for th- in thanksgiving for our healing and our wholeness, God is good, even when we don't understand. Psalm 136: To O give thanks to the Lord, to to God of gods, for his mercy endures forever. O give thanks to the Lord of the lords, to him who let who by wisdom made the heavens, to him who laid out the earth above the waters, to him who made the great lights, the sun to rule by day moon and stars to rule by night. For His mercy endures forever. Give thanks to God who is above all. Colossians 1.12 says this, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. The Lord God rules over the powers of darkness. Today, He still rules over the powers of darkness just like He did at the time this was written. Even more, He's redeemed us and conveyed us. It gives us that that expression of legality. He's conveyed us. He's made the paperwork or put it together and taken care of the legal procedures to bring us back into His kingdom. He's conveyed us into His kingdom of light. Thanks be to God. We can be thankful for this. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image, Christ being the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominion or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And He is before all things, and in Him are, and in Him all things consist. All of His creation is sustained by His power, by His amazing power. You know, whether it's the Milky Way, you know, or, or our planet Earth, or the powers of this Earth, they owe, they all owe their life and their being to our Creator and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, when you look at the situation going on around the world, here in our country and and beyond, and you see everything that's happening, it's easy to to wonder. You know, is there anyone in control? Is there you know anyone that can change the situation? Uh, is anyone keeping track of what's happening? But God is in control, and by Him. All things consist, and he has a plan and things aren't happening. I believe we're seeing we're seeing god's hand playing out in maybe the last days. It seems like to me, speaking again of god uh there's a sister passage as I see it in Isaiah forty verse 12 and I'd like to read this verse 12 through 20 Isaiah 40, 12 through 20 Speaking of God who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand measured heaven with a span and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance you Now we've I've been I've had the occasion to do a fair amount of hunting this year which has been a real uh, pleasure, a pleasure a real privilege for me and uh I've gotten to to climb some more hills than what I've uh, what I normally do, um, and and the hills are you know they can look not so big when you see them from a distance, but when you actually climb even a a a, a small mountain so to speak, it's it's it, you know, it takes a lot of time, and and they're big and they're they're hard to get across, and you can think you're just about at the top, and then it still goes a long ways, and um, you know it says here that God how does it say it he weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance how big is how, how big is god that's the question who has directed the spirit of the lord you know who's or who has or as his counselor has taught him you know who has god needed to sit down and listen to with whom did he take counsel and who instructed him and taught him in the path of justice who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding you know, I'm glad he didn't need to listen to any of us, me or, or you know, any anyone else that I know. I mean, he's. Uh, it's it's good to know that God is all knowledgeable. Behold, the nations are as a drop in a bucket, and are counted as the small dust on the scales. Look, he lifts up the isles as a very little thing. And Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor its beasts sufficient for burned offering. All nations before him are as, are, are as nothing, and they are counted by him less than nothing and worthless. To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness will you compare to him? The workman molds an image that goldsmith's, the goldsmith overspreads it with gold, and the silversmith casts silver chains. And whoever is too impoverished for such a contribution chooses a tree that will not rot. He seeks for himself a skilled workman to prepare a carved image that will not totter. Isaiah seems to be saying, come on, don't you get it? You know, when you look anywhere else but to God the Creator, you know, to Him, to the One that made you, that made the earth, when you look anywhere else with your supplications, with your praise and with your worship, you're looking way too low. Way, way, way too low. You know, you can go and make this pretty image. You can overlay it with gold or silver. Um, but it's, it's merely a created thing. It's, you're not looking to the Creator. It won't give, can't, doesn't have the power to give you anything back. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is He, God, who sits above the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He brings the princes to nothing. He makes the judges of the earth useless. Scarcely shall they be planted, scarcely shall they be sown, scarcely shall their stock take root in the earth when he will also blow on them, and they will wither, and the whirlwind will take them away like stubble. To whom, then, will you liken me? or To whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things, who brings out their hosts by number. He calls them all by name, by the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not one is missing. Our sustainer God... Calls out each one of the heavenly hosts by name. Each one of those stars that you see when you look up on a clear night, he calls them out by name, authoritatively, and I believe fondly. Moon, maybe he says this. Moon, don't be too concerned about the earthlings that are visiting you. They'll be okay. And maybe he says Mars. I've decided to let that big bug, a creation of mankind, to keep on. I've decided to let it keep on moving around your surface. It'll be fine. Uh, let's see what man does with his knowledge. Will it swell his head or will it enlarge his heart for me? You know, Not to mention all the other hosts of heavenly things we see or we don't see. They simply stay in their place, in their sphere, God's command. They stay there. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by my God? Now, we can know all of these things intellectually, but in our weaker moments, we say, just like Jacob and Israel did, you know, God is in heaven and we're on earth. He doesn't have time for us, or He doesn't see us, or He doesn't hear us. We're not really sure if He can. But that's not the truth. God does see, He hears, He knows. Have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the Creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary? His understanding is unsearchable. God does see, He hears. We're the centerpiece of His universe. We're the reason He gave Himself to bleed and die. He sees a sparrow fall, and and He says He cares much more for us. We're the center of His universe. To Him, Psalm six four. to Him who alone does great wonders for His mercy endures forever. And then we have going on down through verse 10 through verse 23. It seems more like Ezra's story, but it's our story too. It's the story of one man's faith being called into action. God calling one man, Abraham. And Abraham listening, his faith being large enough to say, yes, Lord, I'll go to a place where I don't know where I'm going to. I will do it. It's a story of people up to their necks in the bondage of, of Egypt and being offered a great and mighty deliverance. It's the story of Rahab the harlot Ruth the Moabitess being brought into the fold of God's people. That's us. It's a sobering story of a people who were punished for their unfaithfulness to God, for God's providence time and time again in the wilderness. And that can very well be our story as well. But our, failing, our failure to thank the Lord for His mercies, thank the Lord for His goodness, and the the, uh, punishment, the repercussions that come from it when we take our own way. It's a story that is repeated in the lives of God's people. The story of common men and women with undying faith in God who overcame and of whom the world was not and continues not to be worthy of. We read about that in Hebrews. Those great men of faith whom the world was not worthy. And today, we have great men of faith, I believe, of whom the world's not worthy as well that are dying for their faith. Being torn apart, being sawn asunder. I was looking a bit into uh, our Mennonite Encyclopedia and seeing pictures there that, uh, that artists drew of, of some of the awful, awful um, persecution that took place. One picture of it was with a man with his hand down and there was a there was a uh, I guess an executioner probably because they were executing people too, but with a long cleaver like thing here and, and right on top of all the four of his fingers and then a, a great big mallet coming down and the purpose was of course to sever all of his fingers um, because of what? Not of evil because this man refused to to bow to the Catholic or Protestant or Lutheran church—I don't know which it was. Of whom the world's not worthy. Another one was with a man at a, at the stake. You know, we tend to forget these these uh, these stories, these true happenings of our past. We tend to forget. And and so often we're like um, so focused on being involved in our surroundings and our surrounding society that instead of really wanting to associate with our past and being thankful for what was given to us, we tend to be drawn to to what our forefathers actually were moving away from, actually moved away from, and gave so much to to depart from. We need to be thankful for, for those who gave so much. Psalm one thirty six ten 10. To him who struck Egypt in, in their firstborn and brought out Israel from among them with a strong hand and with an outstretched arm for his mercy endures forever. And then on down to verse 23. Who remembered us in our lowly estate? For his mercy endures forever. God remembered the children of Jacob in Egypt, like I like I said before, when they were up there to the necks in bondage. He remembered them in their lowly estate. He also remembered the the sinful woman. At a uh, at a men's meeting, I talked a bit about this, and I was just impressed how that how that Jesus noticed the sinful woman that came into him when he was when he was uh, at dinner with Simon the Pharisee. And I'd like to just share a little bit from that account here again. Luke seven forty-four. He turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet, and with her tears has wiped them wiped them with the hair of her head. So Jesus is the setting here is that Simon had brought Jesus into his house for for dinner. And then this woman came in and started washing Jesus' feet and anointed his feet and wiped his feet with the hair of her head. And Jesus said to Simon, You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, And this is a beautiful part. Your sins are forgiven. A woman in a very lowly estate. And Jesus reaches out to her and says, your sins are forgiven. And uh, to those who sat at the table with him, he began began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And then Jesus turns around and says to the woman, even while they were talking amongst themselves, who is this man that even forgives sins? Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus remembers us in our lowliest state. He sees us. He looks for us. He rescues us. He delivers us. Matthew 12.20 says this. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoking flax he will not quench till he sends forth justice to victory. And in his name, and in His name, in Jesus' name, the Gentiles will trust. And truly in His name, we are trusting today. Now truly our thanks, thankfulness that having been redeemed from our lowly estate should give us reason this morning to unashamedly give thanks and adore our Savior. Psalm one thirty six twenty four says, "And rescued us from our enemies." You know, we've been rescued from our enemies, mostly, most of all, from our enemy, the devil, who seeks to destroy, to devour, to kill, to separate. We've been dev- we've been delivered from him, our enemy, and we've also been delivered from enemies. I believe from enemies who wouldn't have us seek the Lord, who wouldn't have us find peace and find our wholeness in Christ. And also think of our ancestors who were delivered from their enemies and came to this beautiful country which we enjoy today where we can come together and we can worship Christ without any fear of repercussion from the authorities. Without fear of harassment. That's a gift that's been given us. God has given us this gift for for many years now. But it's not a gift that we can take for granted. We don't know how long we'll have this gift and we better better enjoy it while we have it. And in our thankfulness, we do well to remember our brothers and sisters in Christ that are in bonds today for their faith. In our thankfulness, we do well to remember our blood brothers and sisters. Psalm 136.25 Who gives food to all flesh for His mercy endures forever. We've been blessed with food and the wherewithal to care for our loved ones. Now I'm thankful today as a father and husband. I'm thankful that He's given me the... God has given me the opportunity, the ability to put food on the table to give shelter to my family. And I believe that's... Something that we can be very thankful for. It's nothing. This is nothing less than a a right and a gift from our heavenly Father to be able to provide for our own. O, oh, give thanks to the God of Heaven, for His mercy endures forever. Our thanks to God is His due. It's our responsibility to Him like to read an account that we well know out of Luke 17. Luke 17 verse 12. Speaking of Jesus here, then he entered a certain village and there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. You know, all of us today are spiritual and physical lepers. Without Christ we don't have wholeness. And they lifted up their voices, these ten lepers lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. These men were desperate. You know, here they had, they had a, a, a chance to talk to somebody who might be able to give them help. These men had an express ticket to death, and the train that, that, that was taking them there was a, it was a terrible train, it was awful. Then an express ticket to death. We all have a ticket to death. We're all going to die physically sometime or other. But these men were on the express train. Of course, we don't know how close we each one are individually, but when you're a leper, you know it's coming and the death starts when you get leprosy. In a different way, it's, it's accelerated. They were desperate for help. This man, Jesus, offered them hope and healing and they cried out in their hopelessness and their distress and when he saw them he said to them something very simple straightforward to the point go show yourselves to the priest go show yourselves to the priest and so it was that they that as they went they were cleansed you know Jesus gave them this command go show yourselves to the priest they went they headed towards the temple Probably shuffling along as they first started. Toes messed up, um, fingers, you know, gone, probably noses. If you've ever seen pictures of leopards, it's, it's an awful thing to see. Uh, holes in their faces, in their cheeks. They moved along. And I can just see in my mind's eye their fingertips start reappearing. Their noses grow new flesh. Their bruised and bleeding feet become whole, even as they're shuffling along. Now they're taking strides. These white telltale signs of leprosy are disappearing. Their flesh becomes whole. They feel an energy and vigor come into their being. They're striding. Now they're running. They're going to the priest. They've been healed. And there's one of them says, Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. He drops. Maybe drops to his knees and he turns around and he said, I've got someone to thank for this. He says, Whoa, I'm going back. I'm a new man. I'm going back. I owe that man a whole lot of thanks. And he goes back. When he saw that he was healed, He returned and, with a loud voice, he glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet. You know, we don't we don't tend to get too too um, dramatic when we go to tell someone thanks. Oh, thanks a lot! You know, that was really nice of you. That was really good of you. But you know, if you really, if, if someone, if you'd been healed like this man was, I think you'd lose your sense of not. Wanting to be dramatic. I don't think it would be it would be it would be a, any problem just to fall at this man's feet and say, you know, thank you so much. Giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. We need to be Samaritans when it comes to giving thanks. And Jesus answered, He said, We're not ten cleansed, but where are the where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. You know, I believe Jesus was grieved at these other nine that didn't acknowledge Him. You know, I know a man has a personal story that I'm grieved for. And I'll call this man John. This man had uh, told me that he has bone leukemia, which was a shock to me. He's a fairly young man. He's a man I would worked with quite a bit. And if he listens to this, I would, I would, uh, I would be happy if he did. Um, he he was uh, he was diagnosed with this bone leukemia, and the doctors told him he probably doesn't have more than six months to live. And uh, this man's always been very uh, respectful of my faith in God. But uh, he doesn't consider himself a Christian. And I prayed for him. I prayed for him a lot. He had some connections, some very good connections with physicians. And uh, he did a bone marrow transplant, which is a risky thing to do. Because once you lose all your bone marrow and the way it works, Dr. Dan could tell us better about it. But there's a huge risk of getting an infection and, uh, and, and actually dying of infection. But things worked out, actually. They found an exact match for him, which is a, it's a, it's a, just a huge... The, the probability is just so minimal that you can find an exact bone marrow match. And he found an exact bone marrow match of a young man in Germany... And they, uh, this young man was willing to to uh, have the procedure done, have some bone marrow taken from him from himself, and this was flown directly to the hospital. I suppose there was some some uh, some intermediary uh, transportation, but it was flown directly to to Richmond. And uh, this man that I called John, he made it. He's today a very healthy man. What grieves me is after after he was doing better, um, I talked to him and uh, I told him, you know, I praise the Lord that that you're healed. I mean, I acknowledge that he was healed thanks to thanks to the doctor's work, but I also know that without the healing grace of God, he wouldn't be healed. And um, his response was simply, you know. Uh, you know, science is just amazing. It's amazing that science can do what it does. And I tried to insert it here, yes, but God is, you know, God is the one behind this. God is Science is, is of God. And, uh, but he wouldn't hear it. It was all about the doctors and all about science. And today I still pray for, for John. That's not his real name. I pray that someday he'd wake up and learn to be thankful to God for the miracle he worked in his life. He's a very healthy man. But then I had to think too, what about me? I am so prone, and I believe we all are, that when something good happens, when something successful happens in our lives, to say it was me. Somehow, I did it. Somehow, you know, we work this all out and forget about the fact that we should be thanking God. He's the one that defeated the enemy. He's the one that made things possible. He's the one that makes it possible for us as husbands and fathers to provide for our own and much more. And as mothers to take care of your own. And there's so much more you can add add in to that corral of your mind, whatever you want. But it's God. It's all about Jesus. And, and we need to... Be thankful. Be thanking him. Well, God bless you this Thanksgiving season. May you, maybe you have a heart full of thankfulness and awareness of of God's goodness, even even in the uh, sorrows that might be might be, uh, have place in your life. May you still find the goodness of God. I wish this is a blessing on you. Because God is good. He cares for us. God bless you.